Chapter 17 of Quintus Oakes, A Detective Story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kevin Davidson. Quintus Oakes, A Detective Story by Charles Ross Jackson. Checkmated. The Negro was led away. He was in better spirits now, and smiling as only a negro can. That extraordinary genius, the mystic Oakes, had by a process of reasoning that Joe himself was able to follow, not only cleared him of suspicion, but made a hero of him. The innate vanity of the race was reacting on the boy, and coming to the rescue of his nervous system, recently so severely strained. When he had gone, Oakes turned to us, and interrupting our exclamations, remarked, "'Now that we are all here together, it would be wise, perhaps briefly, to review what clues we have obtained and their probable significance.' We all assented to this suggestion, and by tacit consent Quintus Oakes began. First, we have found that the cartridge picked up in the cellar, and evidently dropped by the man in the robe, is of the same pattern as the old ones in the pouch upstairs.' They all belong to the old revolver, which was taken away from its place, and for which another was substituted since my first visit here. With regard to its caliber, the important point, that old revolver meets the requirements of our deductions about the weapon used to murder Mr. Mark. Therefore, we have a chain of evidence connecting my assailant in the cellar, the man in the robe, with the assassin. We know also that the revolver was fired not far from the hundred and fifty-foot distance. The man was an excellent shot, for you must consider the old style of weapon. He must have been large, or at least strong in the wrist, for a good shot with such a weapon cannot be made by a weak person. I interrupted. The murder of Smith was considered to be due to a pistol-ball of large caliber. Could the same weapon have been used? It could, said Oakes. That one has been in the family for years. The style of the cartridges is somewhat similar to our modern ones, but they are very old, as we know by their appearance. Further, he continued, in my opinion, the woman's story connected with the Smith murder is based on a man in a black robe. It may have been the same man who is at the bottom of these later mysteries, though we are to remember that when Mr. Mark was killed, joe saw no robe in the annals of crime we find very few women doing murder in that way it is a man's method we must look then for a strong-wristed man a man who has also strong arms and a cross on the left one finally a man with a knowledge of revolvers and who has in his possession or has had a large old-fashioned weapon and cartridges, and also a robe. And one thing more strikes me, added Oakes in a slow, deliberate voice. He is a man with a mania, an insane man, always or at intervals. Yes, said the doctor. I had concluded so too, Oakes. The wearing of a robe, especially in a confined place like the wall space, the cutting out of a panel and the peculiar method of attack seem nonsensical and without proper reason, and the absence of provocation for these assaults and for the murder of good men like Smith and Mark point strongly to an unbalanced mind. 
"'Probably correct,' Oakes replied, "'and I should say that the insanity is present at intervals only.' "'Mr. Oakes,' said Chief Hallen, then, "'won't you think it advisable to investigate that story of the bandana handkerchief as soon as possible? Affairs in town may become pressing at any time, and we may be needed there.' "'Yes, Chief, certainly.' "'We should lose no time about it,' said Oakes. Then he spoke to Martin, and the latter retired and presently returned with Joe. The detective asked the boy if he would go and point out the stone from which the murderer was leaping when the handkerchief fell into the water. "'You know it is nearly full moon, and several of my men will go with you, and so will Mr. Martin.' The negro assented reluctantly, though bravely, for he was not devoid of superstition. Oakes called in four of his men and said, "'Go with Mr. Martin and Joe. Take lanterns, and find the handkerchief which is at the bottom of the stream, if the boy is telling the truth and the murderer has not recovered it. He did not notice it drop, did he, Joe?' "'No, Master Oakes. He just flew along and never looked around. He did not know where it dropped.' The negro was using good English, and standing erect with a very important expression— he was innocent and the central figure now. He realized that dignity was becoming. An educated boy of his race can show great self-control under such circumstances. Vanity, thou goddess of transformation. While the searching party was gone, we spent the time discussing Mike's peculiarities, most of all his horseback ride in the moonlight, a curious departure for a hired man. The whole thing is unusual in the extreme, Stone. Since the night that you were escorted to the pond by Chief Hallen's men, and there warned of impending danger, and your unknown friend was chased by the man lying in wait for you, I have had a net around Mike and Maloney and Cook, but with negative results, said Oakes. You see, Maloney and Cook go about their business in a quiet fashion, while Mike cannot be approached very well. The men report him as very shrewd and suspicious. Did you find out where Mike went on his horseback trip? No, that is another curious thing. The Lorona man who brought him, the horse, says that he has done it for a few days and received good pay. The horse was always returned promptly, once or twice by a boy, the other times by Mike himself. To have done that, Mike must have walked back from Lorona, said Hallen. No, he may have ridden part way. We found a man this evening who saw him take a team on the Lorona Highway and ride into Mona after dark. "'Where is Mike now?' I inquired. "'Since the episode of that horseback ride witnessed by Dr. Moore and yourself, he has disappeared.' "'Disappeared?' "'Yes, eluded all our men and never returned the horse.' "'Skipped! Got away!' we cried in amazement. "'Yes, but he won't stay away long. He will come back.' We did not quite understand Oak's speech, but there was evidently something behind it. At this point, with his characteristic swiftness of movement, he lighted a cigar and began to smoke, offering the box to us all. That meant that, as far as he was concerned, talking on business had ceased for a time. He was now recreating. Elliot and I walked to a window and looked out upon the front walk and the road, conversing upon the manner in which Joe had been brought to Mona. He had resisted the idea at first, but through the efforts of Martin and Elliot and the promise of reward, he had finally consented to the journey. They had explained to him that his refusal would defeat the ends of justice, and that escape was impossible, 
and when he realized that he had been unconsciously talking to watchers and polishing their shoes in his innocence, he saw the folly of further remonstrance. Thus was the important evidence of the negro secured. The strain of events was telling on us all. Quintus Oakes showed his deep concern by a tendency to leave us and remain alone. As Elliot and I were talking, he looked at the rolling hills beyond the pond and exclaimed, "'Look, can I be mistaken, Mr. Stone? Look in the direction of Mona, away off on the plateau. Is not that a horse?' I followed his pointing and discovered in the moonlight the figure of a horse advancing rapidly over the blue-green fields along the path that led to the bridge. Oakes advanced to the window and gazed intently, shading his eyes with his hands. On the crest of the hill that dipped to the pond the horse soon stood out clearly against the dark blue of the sky. We could see a figure which had lain low on his neck rise and sit straight in the saddle, then flash a light. From near the road on our side of the pond came an answering light. A man stood there and exchanged signals with the horseman. The rider was moving his arms rapidly, and with them the light. The other was answering in similar manner. Oakes remained quiet, and we all gathered at the window about him. "'What is it?' I asked. He turned and said to me, "'Here, write as I read.' I took an envelope and pencil from my pocket, and wrote as Oakes deciphered the signals. "'A message from Mona!' he cried. "'Quick!' Then he read the letters as they appeared. "'Discovered. Skinner has extra out. Pronounces me false. Says Hallen has tricked the town. Beware of Skinner. Tell Hallen to look out. Am off for New York.' Then came a long wave over the head, and the horseman dashed back toward Lorona. We detected another horseman at a little distance, who joined him. They rapidly disappeared together. "'Excellent!' exclaimed Oakes. He has done his duty well. We saw the man on this side run post-haste for the mansion. As he rushed up the steps, Oakes met him. "'All right, boy. I saw the signals myself.' Then to us, he said, "'Quintus Oakes, the false, is discovered. That was he. He came to warn us.' "'Then Skinner has caught on, confound him,' said Dowd, and we all silently assented. Oakes paced the room slowly. "'Boys, we have been unexpectedly checked. The enemy has a strong hand. There is trouble ahead.' "'Yes, there is that,' retorted the vigorous Hallen. "'I must get away to headquarters, gentlemen.' "'Correct,' answered Oakes, "'and we will go with you, chief. "'If trouble is coming, we will be useless here.' "'With one accord we prepared to depart for Mona immediately. "'The carriage was brought to the door, "'and saddle-horses also. "'Then we waited anxiously for the return of Martin's party. "'We were not long delayed. "'A commotion in the hall was heard, "'and in stepped Joe and Martin, followed by the men. "'Oakes' assistant advanced and laid a red handkerchief.' dotted with white spots upon the table. It was wet and heavy, and knotted by its four corners so as to form a pouch. We found it, sir, in about two feet of water, partly covered with sand. Its weight was gradually sinking it to the bottom. Joe laughed hysterically, and lapsed into Negro dialect. See, Mars Oaks, see, boss, I done tell you the truth. Oaks seized the handkerchief, and we all looked inside. It contained a few loose cartridges. 
"'They will match the one I found in the cellar, and those of the old revolver,' said Oakes. "'The man of the mansion mysteries and assaults is the murderer of Mr. Mark.' We were intensely excited as we stood there, viewing the evidence that was so conclusive. Not one of us made a remark, but the deep breathing of some, and the pale faces of others, showed the interest that was felt by one and all. Oakes discovered on one end of the handkerchief the initial S, and we all studied its appearance closely. Then Oakes asked Hallen if such handkerchiefs were unusual in Mona. No, not at all. There are hundreds of them sold here, especially to the laborers on the waterworks, the Italians and the Poles, answered the chief. It's a very peculiar S, said Oakes, as he folded the handkerchief and put it in his pocket, giving the cartridges to Martin. He said nothing more, but seemed serious and thoughtful, as usual, and then we set out, all together, on a wild drive to the police headquarters. Despite the lateness of the hour, the crowds were increasing. The square, with the hotel on one side and headquarters on the other, was the center of a vicious body of men, pushing, struggling, and forcing its way along, and pausing now and again to surge around headquarters. We could all see that Hallen was to have his hands full. "'I should like to see Skinner very much,' remarked Oakes in a sarcastic vein. "'I should like to see his arms,' said Moore. "'They might be more interesting.' Oakes looked at the speaker with one of his undefinable expressions. We could not tell whether the shot had been a true one or not. End of chapter 17 Recording by Kevin Davidson www.blogordie.com